Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of life. We thank you, Father, for all the spiritual blessings and temporal blessings which you give to us as a token of your love. We are sure you love us, O Lord. We want to be recipients of your grace and we also want to be representatives of you here on earth. We pray, Father, that you grant us the gift of your Holy Spirit, that by your Spirit we all shall be sanctified and consecrated to your service. Without your word, we cannot be cleansed. We pray, Father, that you put your word in my mouth, O Lord, that as I speak, Lord, it shall be spirit and life to all who would listen, that by your word we shall be transformed into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, February 23 Non-Identical Twins And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Genesis chapter 25 verse 27 Jacob and Esau, the twin sons of Isaac, present a striking contrast both in character and in life. Esau grew up loving self-gratification and centering all his interest in the present. Impatient of restraint, he delighted in the wild freedom of the chase and early chose the life of a hunter. Yet, he was the father's favorite. The quiet, peace-loving shepherd was attracted by the daring and vigor of this elder son, who fearlessly ranged over mountain and desert, returning home with game for his father and with exciting accounts of his adventurous life. Jacob, thoughtful, diligent, and caretaking, ever thinking more of the future than the present, was content to dwell at home, occupied in the care of the flocks and the tillage of the soil. His patient perseverance, thrift, and foresight were valued by the mother. His affections were deep and strong, and his gentle, unremitting attentions added far more to her happiness than did the boisterous and occasional kindnesses of Esau. Jacob had learned from his mother of the divine intimation that the birthright should fall to him, and he was filled with an unspeakable desire for the privileges which it would confer. It was not the possession of his father's wealth that he craved. The spiritual birthright was the object of his longing. To commune with God as did righteous Abraham. To offer the sacrifice of atonement for his family. To be the progenitor of the chosen people and of the promised Messiah. And to inherit the immortal possessions embraced in the blessings of the covenant. Here were the privileges and honors that 
kindled his most ardent desires. But while he thus esteemed eternal above temporal blessings, Jacob had not an experimental knowledge of the God whom he revered. His heart had not been renewed by divine grace. He believed that the promise concerning himself could not be fulfilled so long as Esau retained the rights of the firstborn, and he constantly studied to devise some way whereby he might secure the blessings which his brother held so lightly, but which was so precious to himself. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Non-Identical Twins. We are going to be looking at the story of Jacob and Esau and we are introduced to them today. As we look at the story of Jacob and Esau, there is something really troubling or striking in the minds of people that we would study, which is the issue of predestination, election and choice. When we look at the story of Jacob and Esau, we find something that troubles the mind where it looks as if someone has been predestined to a particular direction. But is that really the case? Let us read our Bibles in the book of Genesis 25, reading from verse 19 to 28. It says, And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of the sister to Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger and the other people than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, they were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau, because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So here, we see before Jacob and Esau were born, something was going on that, that made Rebekah to have to ask the Lord what this thing meant. There was a striving of the children in her womb, and on making her inquiry, the Lord being gracious to her, explained to her that there are two nations in her womb. And then he made it clear that the elder shall serve 
the younger. In the book of Malachi chapter 1, reading verse 2 and 3, it says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you see, wherein have hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord. Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now God himself is saying, I loved Jacob. Now here some people make the mistake into thinking that it says, I chose Jacob. Like God had already chosen Jacob from the womb, that he was going to be the one that will serve him regardless of what Esau does. Why did God choose Jacob? Does this mean God is responsible for making Jacob good and Esau bad? The passage simply tells the future of the two boys and does not in any way say that God is responsible for the choices made by any of them. Reading from the Story of Redemption, page 87, paragraph 1, it says, God knows the end from the beginning. He knew before the birth of Jacob and Esau just what characters they would both develop. He knew that Esau would not have a heart to obey him. He answered the troubled prayer of Rebekah and informed her that she would have two children and the elder should serve the younger. He presented the future history of her two sons before her, that they would be two nations, the one greater than the other, and the elder should serve the younger. End of quote. So here we see God's foreknowledge in play and we cannot hold God's foreknowledge against him. God has foreknowledge, but his foreknowledge does not interfere with our personal decisions and choices. In the end, he sees our choices, but is not responsible for us making these choices. Based on our choices, he knows those that are his and those who are not his, but he has predestined everyone to be saved. It is man through his own choices that gets himself lost. And we will see this in the scripture. What is God's predestination for you and for me? What was his predestination for Esau to be clearer? Is it that he predestined Esau to be lost? No. The book of Romans 8 verse 29 and 30 tells us God's predestination for every human being. It says, for whom he did foreknow. What does it mean to foreknow? That is the foreknowledge of God. That is, before you were born, I knew you. That is the foreknowledge. Who did God foreknow? God foreknows every single human being that is born. And what does he do with everyone he foreknows? It says, for whom he did foreknow, which includes Esau, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So if you look at it, he foreknew Esau. He predestined Esau to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus, which is the purpose of every human being, Genesis 1 verse 26. Esau was born for that purpose. He was predestined to be a good person and the Lord was going to work for that. But going on, he says, anyone God predestinates, he calls. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So from this passage, we see God's purpose for man. God's purpose specifically for Esau is that he was predestined to be saved. 
But what is it that made Esau to have that character? We read now that he knew that Esau's character would not be in harmony with his will, that Esau would not obey him. That is just God's foreknowledge. It doesn't mean that God made Esau what he was. Why did God love Jacob and say, Esau I hated? It is not because he made Jacob good and then made Esau bad. But as the boys grew up, we see their choices. The choices they made would determine who God will show mercy or who God will love. And the love here doesn't mean uh, the love that is available to every human being. God still loved Esau. But the kind of love being referred to here for Jacob is the love that re- that um, made the Lord to select him as the progenitor, the one who would today, as we say, the God of Jacob, who would be the spiritual in- uh, inheritor of the blessings of Abraham. That's a love. That's simply what is meaning there. It doesn't mean that he hates Esau and made life difficult for him and all of that. No, that's not what it means. Moreover, we see another explanation for this matter in the book of Romans chapter 9 where Paul was given an explanation for it. In Romans chapter 9, reading from verse 9 down, it says, For this is the word of promise, At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that called it. was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he said, now hear the explanation. God is, uh, Paul is now trying to explain what it means when in Romans 9 verse 11, that he said that, he said there that the children being not yet born, they've not done good, Neither have they done evil, but yet God had already elected Jacob. What does that mean? He then uses a passage to explain it in Romans chapter 9, verse 14. He says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that will it, nor of him that run it, but of God that showeth mercy. There are two things we are going to look at in this passage. What does it mean when Paul is explaining that the reason why Jacob was elected is this passage now, that God shows mercy to whom he will show mercy, and compassion to whom he will show compassion, and decided to show mercy to Jacob. That's what, it, that's what Paul is trying to say here. That the reason why we see the election, and by the way, we also want to understand, what does this election mean? Does the election mean that once somebody is selected and uh, others are rejected, that some people are elected and others are not elected, and that person who is elected is going to be saved and never going to be lost? Is that what it means? We've already seen a bit of that, but I'll come back to it. First of all, the issue of mercy. Talking about this matter, Paul says that the reason is that there is a character of God where he shows mercy to whom he will show mercy and he shows compassion to whom he will show compassion. And it is this character of God that made him to select or elect Jacob even before the children had been born and they have not done good or evil. So what is this thing that God says, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy? Who does God show mercy? Is it just arbitrarily that he just shows mercy to anyone? It doesn't matter what you've done. Let God answer for himself and be careful 
not to give an answer for God as if God is going to show mercy to whom he will show mercy in the sense of there is no criteria. There is a criteria for those whom God will show mercy. It is not that Jacob was already in the womb and not fulfilling the criteria. God already said, I'm going to show him mercy. Rather, God knew the choices they will make. And there is a criteria for receiving mercy from God. When God on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, was giving the commandments to the children of Israel and wrote it down with his finger, he made it clear whom he shows mercy to. In Exodus 20, reading from verse 5 and 6, the Lord said clearly, visiting in the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Here God clearly answers the question of whom he will show mercy to. It is not just any arbitrary choice of his own, I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. No, but rather he clearly says, I will show mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now you see clearly that why God said he will show mercy to Jacob is not that he was going to make Jacob a nice person, but his foreknowledge had already seen the life of these two children. He knew the choices Esau would make and the choices Jacob would make. That Jacob was going to make a choice to love God and keep his commandments, therefore be qualified to be the one that God will show mercy to. It is not because uh, Jacob uh, keeps the commandments of God that he, he merits the selection. It is still mercy. And when we say mercy here, we mean even Jacob did not deserve it. But because he fulfilled the criteria, God showed him mercy. In Isaiah 66 verse 2, God said, But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Esau does not tremble at God's word. He despised God's word. But Jacob loved the Lord and trembled at the word of God. And that is why God said, To this man will I look, the one that trembles at my word, the one that has a poor and contrite spirit. This is the description of Jacob. Jacob had that poor and contrite spirit and he trembled at the word of God. Jacob is the one that loved the Lord and kept the commandments of God and he qualified himself to be elected and to be the one who would be the inheritor of the spiritual blessings. I repeat, it is not that the Lord made them to make their choices. Every one of them made their choice. And don't forget Romans 8 verse 29 and 30 tells us that God has predestined everyone he knows, which includes Esau, which includes Pharaoh, which includes every other person who is making bad choices. He has predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. But then, God's predestination does not supersede our choice. It does not remove our choice. We are still allowed to make our choices. Where is this election now referred to in uh, the book of Romans that we just read now, Romans 9 verse 11. There said, For the children being not yet born, neither have done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works but of him that calleth. What is this election being referred to? The Bible will throw more light. In Second Peter chapter 1 verse 10, the word of God says, Wherefore, rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election 
sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Hmm. So that means after one is elected, your election is not sure unless you do something about it. This election being referred to here is the same thing as a predestination that God has done for all of us, predestined us to be saved. But the predestination doesn't mean you can't change God's plan. God has predestined everyone to be saved because he loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody, not for some. But we will still make our choices as to whether we will make our calling and election sure or not. God has elected you. Will you elect yourself? Let's hear from the Spirit of Prophecy, reading in Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 944, paragraph 2. It says, uh, paragraph 2 and 3, it says, There could be no such thing as one not prepared for heaven entering heaven. There is no such thing as a human being sanctified and fitted for the heavenly kingdom, not having an election to that kingdom. God elects those who have been working on the plan of addition. The explanation is given in the first chapter of Second Peter. For every human being, Christ has paid the election price. No one needs to be lost, even Esau. All have been redeemed. To those who receive Christ as a personal savior, he will be given power to become the sons and daughters of God. An eternal life insurance policy has been provided for all. Whom God elects, Christ redeems. The savior has paid the redemption price for every soul. We are not our own, for we are bought with a price from the redeemer who from the foundation of the world has chosen us. We receive the insurance policy that entitles us to eternal life. Again, in 944 paragraph 4, it says, There is the election of God on the condition of practice, and there is no other election in the Bible. Election is within our reach. If you do these things, you shall never fall. So, let's go back to the passage, Second Peter 1 verse 10. Do you see that there was a condition for election? It says, Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if, the conditional word comes in, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. So, the election here is in our hands. There, you see, the election is based on whether we will do these things. And what are the things being referred to there? In Second Peter 1, reading from verse 5, Paul had, uh, Peter had been talking about what we should do, that we should add to our faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. He said, if you do these things, that is working on this plan of addition, then we are making our calling and our election sure and we will never fall. It is not that some people have been elected while others are rejected. That's not the case. We are the ones who are to make our calling and election sure. Back to our reading now, reading from uh, reading from Bible Commentary, Volume 7, this time page 944, paragraph 6. It says, It depends upon your course of action as to whether or not you will secure the benefits bestowed upon those who as the elect of God receive an eternal life insurance policy end of quote so here we see again that our election is dependent on our course of action Esau's rejection 
was because of his own course of action. The Lord is not in the business of following monarchies and also following traditional systems. There are conditions for receiving God's blessings. It doesn't matter whether you are the firstborn or not. If you are the firstborn and you do what you are not supposed to do, the Lord will put you aside. There is no such thing as someone even before you were born. God has destined regardless of who you are, whatever you are going to do, you are going to be the one that will do this or that. No way. We qualify ourselves as evil people or as good people. It is left with us to receive these blessings or not. Back to Romans 8 verse 29 and 30. For whom he did foreknow, which includes Esau, you and me, he also did predestinate. What does he predestine us for? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the Lord has predestinated every human being, you and me, as we see wicked people all around the world and use Esau as an example of that, it is not the Lord's fault. His destiny was not supposed to be that way. But God already saw the future and knew the choices Esau was supposed to make, which is a fearful thing, and which he was going to make actually. And many of us are afraid of this and we wonder, what choices do the Lord know that I'm going to make? Is the choice you are going to make today. That's what he knows you are going to make. And it is still you who will make the choice. He's not going to push you into making a wrong choice. Rather, the Lord is going to work tirelessly. He's going to work so hard to ensure that you make the right choice. The death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary for our sins is the evidence that the Lord is predestining every human being to be saved. The angels who work tirelessly on our behalf, the Holy Spirit that has been sent to the world, is the evidence that the Lord has predestined you and me, predestined Esau, predestined Pharaoh, predestined Hitler, and everybody who we know who may be wicked or good, they are all predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, to be in the likeness and character of Jesus Christ. But the Lord doesn't force our hands. As he predestines and tries to work out that destiny in you and in me, he still leaves us with the power of choice. But he does know, after he's working so hard, he still knows this is the choice you are going to make. He's not going to force us, but yet we are going to make our own choices for ourselves. We are the ones who change the destiny or allow the destiny of God to be fulfilled in our lives. How do we do that? by making our calling and election sure, by working on the plan of addition, by adding faith to virtue and virtue, and adding knowledge to virtue, and then adding the other gifts there, temperance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity, and our patience, all those things. By the time we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, that's what it means. We are working out our salvation. God is not forcing salvation on anybody, but we are to work it out. Jacob walked his salvation with fear and trembling. He trembled at the word of God, but Esau did not. As we saw in our devotion, Conflict and Courage, page 60, paragraph 2, he says, Esau grew up loving self-gratification and centering all his interest in the present. Impatient of restraint, he delighted in the wild freedom of the chase and early chose the life of a hunter. Yet, he was the father's favorite. The quiet, peace-loving shepherd was attracted by the daring and vigor of his elder son, who fearlessly ranged over mountain and desert, returning home with game for his father and with exciting accounts of his adventurous life. So, this is the choice that Esau made. But Jacob, 
loved the spiritual blessings that he had heard of that would come from his grandfather Abraham to his father Isaac and to the other child who would love to have it. And he loved to have it, but Esau didn't didn't care about it. And we'll see that in subsequent devotions. We know the story of Esau, how he despised his birthright. And by despising it, the Lord also left him alone. He was the one that rejected God. God did not reject him. Esau rejected it himself. God didn't force him to make that choice, but he made that choice himself. But coming to the life of Esau and Jacob and to the family of Isaac, we see a fault here in the life of Isaac. As we go through the book Conflict and Courage, remember that we are learning lessons that we should not repeat and also lessons that we should repeat. Isaac, his fondness for Esau's daring character was not good. You see, Isaac was someone who lacked, remember, he lacked that character of daring. He's not that type. Jacob took after him. But he loved Esau more than Jacob. It's like those fathers who love their sons when their son can threaten people and make people afraid of them. Esau, uh, Isaac was not that kind of person who would go to battle like his father Abraham if need be. You see, Abraham had a very balanced character. He was a nice man, very good man. But when it was needful for him to exercise other characters like courage, fortitude, Abraham was ready to do that. And when it is needed to be meek, humble abraham will also do that he was a very balanced man isaac's character was not that balanced he was more on the side of the softness of the, the the precious graces of the holy spirit but the graces of fortitude and courage and the rest he didn't have it so when he sees it sees that in his son esau oh he loved it very much and in doing this he overlooked many of the faults of esau esau's character was not balanced while he had that daring, yet he was not a devotional kind of person. But Isaac's love for Esau would encourage Esau to continue in that direction. And parents will learn that lesson. No matter the good character you see in your son or in your child, let them be balanced. We need all things. Esau going out in an adventurous life, good. But we, he, did, he was supposed to encourage him also to have the godly character. Jacob was the one who was the balanced one and who loved the things of God. Rebecca, thank God for Rebecca because you saw in our previous devotions that the Lord chose Rebecca for Isaac specifically. The Lord knew his needs. If it was left for Isaac alone, a lot would go wrong in that family. But Rebecca encouraged Jacob in the right direction. Esau, he was impatient at restraint. The mother wouldn't control him. Isaac, who was supposed to do that, he left him to be wild. So, Jacob was the one who would help his mother in the home and who was more devotional. Esau is like that child who you wake up for devotion and then he will start sleeping in the devotion. He doesn't care. Isaac wouldn't tell him anything. His softness. Rebecca can't control the young boy. He's wild. But Jacob would want to do what is right. And by making these choices, their character was being developed. It was clear God cannot work with Esau. But God can work with Jacob. The Lord chose Rebekah for Isaac. She was not moved by emotions and could make that calm and intelligent decision. And when it was time to sell, to, to bless, Isaac wouldn't do the right thing. She, she didn't do the right thing also. Look at that later. But for today, we're looking at these people's character as it was developed and why the Lord chose them. We read in Ministry of Healing, page 397. 
life is mysterious and sacred. It is the manifestation of God himself, the source of all life. Precious are its opportunities, and earnestly should they be improved. Once lost, they are gone forever. Before us, God places eternity with its solemn realities. Before, I would say now, before Jacob and Esau, God placed eternity with his solemn realities. Esau being the first, had this precious opportunity, but as we saw, precious are the opportunities of life, and they should be earnestly improved. Once lost, they are gone forever. Before us, God places eternity with its solemn realities and gives us a grasp of unimmortal, imperishable themes. He presents valuable and ennobling truth that we may advance in a safe and pure path in pursuit of an object worthy of the earnest engagement of all our capabilities. And this same presentation has been made to us life with its wonderful opportunities. It is left for us to make our choice. It was the decision to prize heavenly things above the earthly that made the Lord to choose Jacob above Esau. And here is a lesson for us to learn. Some may have privileges, but the Lord is no respecter of firstborns. He chooses whom he will. If opportunity is given to us and we do not prize it, the Lord will give it to another. And as we go through the story of Jacob and Esau, let us be comforted with the knowledge that God has predestined us to be sons and daughters of God, to be conformed into the image of his son, and he's going to work hard to see that his predestined plan for us will be fulfilled. But if we don't cooperate with him, what can the Lord do? We have our choices to make. Let us ensure that we cooperate with God so that the plan he has for us, the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary on our behalf, will not go to waste. Let us pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for your choice and plan for every one of us that you have predestined us for this high calling and this high privilege to be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. There is no better plan you can make for us. There is no better gift you can give to us than to do this for us. And we say thank you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to work on our behalf through your Holy Spirit and through your holy angels, that we will make the right choice like Jacob, and that the plan and the destiny you have planned for us will not go to waste, but that that destiny will be revealed and fulfilled in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers, and thank you for answering. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Mm-hmm.